church from the book of Acts. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after, God, after Paul and Barnabas had no small discussion and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary for them to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that neither our ancestors, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets, as it is written, after this, I will return, and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen. From its, from its ruins, I will rebuild it, and I will set it up, so that all other peoples may, ask, may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, we should write to them to abstain from only things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then the apostles and the elders, with the consent of the whole church, decided to choose men from among their members and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Bersabbas, and Silas, leaders among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the believers of Gentile origin in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that certain persons who have gone out from us, though with no instructions from us, have said things to disturb you and have unsettled your minds, we have decided unanimously to choose representatives and send them to you, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. 
If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. Thank, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jill, for the marathon reading. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of tradition and the gift of imagination. We're grateful, God, for these gifts in our lives as humans. Teach us, God, how to work with them, how to help them partner one another as we live together in community and for the sake of our city. God, this morning, use the words of a sinner like me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We have lots of traditions in our lives. Some of them are really, really big. If you've ever been to a graduation, you've seen tradition. I mean, like the sound, you know, like the, the music that's playing, the stuff that people wear, it's, it's all tradition, right? Big things like that, all the way down to little things like how you cook a meal. What is that like for you? There's, there's tradition involved. Maybe, maybe you're a coffee drinker and you make coffee. Maybe you have a tradition for how you make coffee in the morning. That, that's, that's a tradition. Right? We hold on to those things. In my house growing up, one of our traditions was to have uh, a fire in the backyard, in this fire pit. So throughout my life growing up, whether it was really cold outside or really hot outside, we would have at night this, a, a fire. And around that fire, we would always have some sort of meaningful connection, meaningful conversation. We would joke and laugh. Sometimes it was really deep. Many tears had been shed around the fire pit in my parents' backyard. Many, uh, many laughs have erupted late into the night around the fire pit in that backyard. No matter what, when we go back now to my parents' house, we will have a fire. Sometimes it's like four degrees outside, and we have to dig a hole for the fire pit in the snow, and that's okay because we bring out all the old sleeping bags and blankets, and we make their fire really big. No matter what, we will have a fire because it's, it's part of our family tradition, and as, as our family has grown, we've incorporated people into that tradition. My kids know now that when we go to their grandma and grandpa's house, we'll sit around the fire at some point. We all have traditions. They're important for us, and they're grounding for us. It would not be a trip home to my parents' house for me. It would not be a return to my family of origin without sitting around that fire. It's important. So tradition is a wonderful thing. It's, this, it's a beautiful thing. It's this idea of passing down beliefs and customs to a new generation. They're not just habits. They're habits that have been codified, that have been turned into part of our way of being, that have been made communal. So I want to talk about kind of two parts of tradition. Then we're going to talk about imagination. We're going to talk about them together. We're going to talk about Jesus. And then we're going to get to Acts 15. So just map that out a little bit. We will get to Acts 15. A couple of the things that I think are really cool about tradition is, is that they build in us a sense of belonging and they grow and, and solidify our sense of identity. Maybe, maybe for you, around the holidays, you like always made the same meal. Maybe someone in your family like baked the same pie every year. And then at some point, they teach you how to make that meal or bake that pie or or do that thing. And so every year, you show up and like you, you kind of continue, continually learn until at some point, it's passed on to you and you own it and you are the one doing that thing and then you will be teaching someone else. But what happens is we get this sense of like, yeah, I know what's going on. 
These are my people. My family growing up, we always listened to the same like playlist of really terrible Christmas songs. Every year, it's like 35 songs long, and we know all of them, and if I played them for you, you would be embarrassed for me. But we know them, and we belong to our family. This is part of what it means to be part of our family. We know, like, this is, this is us. And knowing those songs help us, helps us know, like, yeah, th- this is our family. We're in this. We're part of something. But it also is about kind of establishing and, and deepening our sense of identity in that. You know, in, in the Bible, we see, like, much of the Old Testament is this description of these laws of Moses, of, like, these laws from God are like, this is how you are to live. Be this way. Do these things, and it will help you become a type of people. And that's really important. God is saying, I want you to be a certain type of people, so do these things. Right? Live out this new identity as God's family. And these are traditions. You can, if you like blindly open your Bible in the first half, you'll probably within the pages you turn to, find some of those traditions, either explicitly or you'll be reading about the the people practicing them. So uh, tradition helps us in belonging, it helps us in identity, uh, but it also is a way to pass down important wisdom about the way to live. So maybe, you know, getting together as a family meal uh, around the holidays might communicate, like, hey, one of the ways to live is to, like, be together as a family. That's important making confession every Sunday at church might pass on this wisdom for living to live truthfully before God and with other people. That's like a way of being in the world that is wise, just passed on through a tradition. In the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew people had this, this uh, kind of series of verses called the Shema that was like, this is what it means to be God's people and they memorized them. They literally like wrote them down and put them on their bodies. It's in Deuteronomy 6. It starts out with these uh, maybe, maybe well-heard words that you know. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And it goes on a little bit. These verses were, were like central wisdom for the people of God for how to live, how to be God's people in the world. And they're passed on in this tradition of memorizing, of, of taking them in. Now, tradition can also, uh, it doesn't have to be positive, although I think most of the time it is positive. But our habits can be turned into traditions as we pass them on to our families, even if we don't want them to be. So maybe our, our habit of being angry or unkind or over-drinking or abusing of the privilege and power that we have, maybe those things get passed on to the next generations in traditions that we wish maybe weren't, weren't there. But overall, I think tradition is a positive thing for us because I think it, traditions help us uh, not only know what to care about, what to value and make important, but how to do that. They help us be us. Help define, like, what does it mean to be us? Even when we don't know that that's happening. Okay, so, so tradition is really, really good for us. We participate in it all the time. Now we have imagination. I think we're all familiar with imagination. It's a gift that we've all been given by God. And among the many, many good things about imagination are these, two of them. I think one, imagination helps us understand our lives. 
It's through imagination that stories come out into the world that help us access and understand the beauty and the depth of life, help us process through the pain of life, make sense of what's going on in our lives. When we see a movie or we read a book, we see some part of life from our, you know, some part of life expressed in this story from our own lives. And we can connect, and the story helps open up part of our life to us in a new way that maybe we hadn't, we hadn't understood before. So stories, stories come out of our imagination, and they help us have meaning in our life and, and connect to that meaning. The second thing I think that is important for today about imagination is that it helps us adjust to a changing world. As things around us shift and morph, our imagination is activated in a way that helps us stay ourselves. Helps us see a path forward towards that same goal, even as the map moves. Does that make sense? As the world changes, we adjust through our imagination of like, how can I still get to that same place, even though the landscape between here and there has drastically changed? And so we imagine a new way forward, um, how we can adjust on the fly. An, an image of this that kind of came to me this week as I was preparing is, uh, in college, one of my friends had what's called an endo board. Are you guys familiar with this? There's like a flat, oval-shaped board with some grip tape on the top, and then on the bottom, on the very edges, there's like a little, a little bar to keep the board from sliding all the way off on one side or another. And then underneath it is just a cylinder that's like you know, two and a half feet long. You put the flat board on top of the circle board and then you have to try to stay there. So you stand on it and you're constantly adjusting to try to stay standing up. You're changing all the time so that you can stay the same. I think our imagination plays that same role in our lives. It enables us to change and adjust so that we can stay the same. helps us see kind of the new possibilities for how to manage our life. So we have tradition that's this great thing for us. We have imagination that's this other huge gift, and then we hold them together. And I think we see, we actually see Jesus doing this. So we're going to just touch on two passages real quickly, and then we're going to come back to Acts 15. So one, in, in Matthew 5, Jesus engages with this idea of tradition, and, and if you know Jesus' story, you might look at him and think like, yeah, this guy is blowing up the tradition that he inherited. He was born into the society that, has, that is steeped with all kinds of traditions. He has this book that is all about like, this is how you live. Do these things. And he's born into that. And he actually affirms it in the most deep way. In Matthew 5, he says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He engages his tradition, looks at it, and says, all of these things, I'm not interested in getting rid of them. I've come to fulfill them, and not just fulfill the, like, the tasks of them, like the checklist, but to fulfill the purpose of them, the why of them. So Jesus affirms the tradition. He affirms the structure that he's been born into and says, like, there's good in this, and, and I am fulfilling it. I am bringing the good out of it. He even goes so far to say, like, not one letter is going to be taken out of this law. So Jesus upholds the tradition. 
But he also held this imaginative posture. It wasn't just that he, he took the tradition and like stuck to it letter of, the, letter of the law no matter what the circumstances. At the end of Mark 2, uh, kind of crossing into the beginning of Mark 3, Jesus starts talking about the Sabbath. It's this important part of the tradition that he's inherited, right? This, this way of being that's made for people to be restored to themselves, to rest. It's a practice we still wrestle with today. We want it, but it's hard to do. And, and in, this, in this story, at the end of Mark 2, beginning of Mark 3, uh, there's a story of the, the disciples walking through a field and like plucking the heads of the wheat off, uh, off the shafts as they walk and having a little bit of like a snack. And the Pharisees, or the, the folks who are really focused on the law, they, they come to Jesus and say, hey, your disciples are working on the Sabbath. They're not allowed to harvest grain. That is violating the law. And Jesus responds to them uh, in a few ways, one of which is to say, the Sabbath, are, uh, humans are not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is made for humans. And he defends them, that it's okay that they were doing this. And he kind of points to the Pharisees, like, you're missing the point. Right after that, at the beginning of Mark 3, Jesus, uh, there's a story of Jesus going to the temple, and there's a man there with a withered hand who's been waiting uh, to be healed. And he says to Jesus, like, come, heal me. Help me here. I have, a, I have a withered hand. And the Pharisees are there as well, and they're looking at Jesus, kind of seeing, like, what's he going to do? And he turns to them and says, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? And he knows, and he's kind of implying, like, I know that, that you're not okay with me healing this person's hand. But he poses the question to them, like, do you get it? Is it okay for me to do something really good on the Sabbath, even though they perceive it as working? Is that, is that allowed? And he goes ahead and heals this man's hand, and it that it kind of tips the scales for the Pharisees and they go off and start plotting, like, how are we going to get rid of this guy? Because he's breaking all the rules. He's violating the tradition. But Jesus carries this imaginative view that helps him see how things have changed and now the form of the tradition, like how it's lived out, is actually violating the purpose of the tradition. Because God is all about wholeness and restoration and reconciliation so if there's anything that God is interested in in the world, it would be healing a man's hand, restoring his person to, this, to their fullness. And therefore, in the eyes of the Pharisees, violating the form of the, the law. Okay, so I want you to hold these two stories in your mind about the Sabbath. The, the, breaking, the breaking the Sabbath to pluck the grain and then Jesus breaking the Sabbath to heal this person's hand and, and the idea of Jesus kind of changing the form or the tradition in order to return it to its purpose. Hold those, because I think it's important as we approach Acts 15. Because Jesus sees that this tradition, this way, has lost its connection to its meaning. He still upholds the tradition, said this is important and meaningful. He doesn't say, like, forget about the Sabbath forever. He, he still affirms keeping the Sabbath, but he changes what that means, Because he, see, he sees that it's being held in a way that is violating its purpose. On the front of your worship guide, there's this quote about tradition. 
from Gustav Mahler. It says, tradition is not the worshiping, or is not the worshiping of ashes, but the preservation of fire. This is Jesus carrying the fire, preserving the fire. Not focusing on the ashes, not worshiping the ashes. He changes how the tradition is lived out in order to be faithful to the purpose of the tradition. Because without imagination, tradition just becomes traditionalism. One of the quotes on the worship guys says, traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. So to, to keep tradition becoming traditionalism, we need imagination. We need to think about how are we applying these things to our real world today in a way that keeps step with the purpose. Okay, we're at Acts 15. I think this is a case study into keeping tradition and imagination connected. Many of our values that we've been preaching through feel like they're in tension with one another or they're like opposites that we're trying to hold together. I think tradition and imagination are actually partners that we need to keep together. They work together with one another to help us stay who we are. So to recap our story in Acts 15, we have uh, Paul is with Barnabas in another place and all of these non-Jewish people are starting to follow Jesus. And then some teachers from Jerusalem, the like, you know, center of it all, come and say, hey, hey, these people, they have to actually follow the law. They need to be circumcised and follow the tradition, all the laws of Moses, in order to be welcomed into God's family. And Paul and Barnabas argue with them, and then they, it gets to the point where they can't resolve it. So they're going to go to Jerusalem to talk to like, the leaders of the whole thing to sort it out. And so they do. They go back and, and they make their argument. They make their case. And Peter joins them and says, yeah, you know, I've actually witnessed God's giving God's spirit to people who are not Jewish. And that's, that's like the mark of, of entrance into the family, this welcome into the family. And, and they weren't practicing the law. They weren't circumcised. So we see God affirming this welcome of Gentiles, this non-Jewish people. And then James chimes in and says, yeah, I think this is actually connected to our tradition all the way back. And he quotes from the prophet Amos and, and makes, some, makes some connections of welcoming Gentiles into the fold. See, Paul is arguing this. If, if you read other things that Paul wrote, he's arguing this because he sees that Jesus has fulfilled the purpose of the law. Through Jesus, people become part of God's family, not by following the law or keeping the tradition. Although he still affirms the tradition. He says it's good and important, but it is not required to be part of God's people. Jesus is the only entry point. And Paul teaches that throughout the New Testament. So now the question is, if Jesus is the only entry point, and we have these people who are not Jewish, who don't keep the law of Moses, they're not circumcised, being told, yes, you have to keep the law of Moses, and then Paul is saying, no, you don't, what do we do? These are real people, really wanting to follow God, and they're being told two contradictory things. So what do we do? How do we contextualize, how do we adapt and shift to the moment in order to connect to and remain with the purpose of the tradition? So these people, they look at the whole law and they say, we can't ask them to do that. We can't even keep the whole law. 
It's a burden too heavy to bear. We can't do it. So let's change. They say it seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to us to make some changes. And so they said, we just want you to do a couple things. One is to, to eat kosher, kind of follow the food laws, which allows Jews and Gentiles to actually like eat dinner together. This wasn't arbitrary. It was, it was to enable relationship and connection to be a community. So they said, let's keep the food laws, which is going to be a, a compromise on the Gentiles' part. Uh, and then they also say, let's keep like the sexual morality code, because we don't want, we don't want sexual immorality to disintegrate and, and uh, destroy the community that we create. So let's like keep some, keep some like tradition here with food and sex. And then also all this other stuff, we're not going to worry about it. We think Jesus is leading this way. So let's move forward that way. They use their imagination to adjust to the changing world to be faithful to the purpose of the tradition, which I say is a relationship with God. The whole point of all the law is for the people to live in relationship with God. Now, just take a minute and realize how huge of a change this is. I know it's, it's hard for us to look back and, and think about like, oh yeah, so they just change a little bit of what they eat. They don't have sex with like anybody they want to. There's some, there's some morality going on here. But this is, a, this is a tradition that has been held with this people for centuries. They've always lived a certain way, and it's meant being part of God's family, and that's changing. So I just want you to think about how this would work in your life. I want you to just picture a person who is as different from you as you can imagine. Culturally, maybe racially, socioeconomically, Maybe they speak a different language. They have a different type of education than you. As different as possible from you. Those are, that's the type of unity that is being created here. That's the type of welcome that's being established. People who are as different as they can be being joined together. This, is, this was costly for the Jewish Christians. This meant being united with people, being part of a family with people who had very different ways of living. But for them, it was a return to the purpose. See, I think without imagination, tradition becomes disconnected from its meaning. And we end up with laws or traditions that just benefit the powerful. We end up with a Sabbath that forbids healing. We end up with a tradition that requires us to do what Jesus did on our behalf. And everyone else, like all the, all the non-powerful people, they get pushed out kind of a, to the edges to become marginalized. And really, they're sent away to suffer under the burden of the tradition. I think we see this in our lives today, in the moments when we feel threatened, like our core things are threatened, and we close our fists and we double down and we say, nope, this is how it's going to be, and I don't care what else happens. It's going to be my way. This is how we've always done it, and we will not change. We see that all around our world today. If you're like me, you feel it all the time. And in doing so, I think we, we close our fists and we choke 
the life out of these good things that have been given to us. Instead of opening our hands and letting God do what God does. Deliver the purpose of it all in ways that make sense today in our time and place. We don't have to be afraid that something's gonna, it's all going to fall apart. We can trust that God is big enough to deal with the changing world and use our imagination, use our creative energy to explore like how might God be connecting this purpose of what God has, this life with God, to my world today, the people that I interact with, even if they don't keep the traditions. I think we need some imagination in the Christian life and, and in our civil life as well. We need to step away from this doubling down on what has always been and open our hands and trust. I actually think this is why Christianity has such a terrible name in the West especially, is that we've made a habit, we've made a tradition out of doubling down on the tradition, out of re- refusing to make any adjustments that, uh, that would help return us to the purpose of the tradition. And I think that we need to follow Jesus in using our imaginations to keep our traditions rooted in their purposes here and now. Otherwise, we end up getting really off course in all areas of our life. And then we, we, we take the things that we, you know, the traditions that we've acquired in our lives, maybe in our society, that's things that say like men should be in charge, white men should be in charge, this is the way it's always been. We just need to keep it that way. We import that into the church and say this is how it is with God also. Many of you in this room have experienced the damage from that traditionalism that refuses to adapt, that refuses to use our imagination and welcome the Spirit of God to lead us into new ways of returning to the purpose of it all life with God. At All Souls, you know, we need your imaginations to help us preserve the fire. We need your imaginations to help us see how we all must change the form of our traditions at times to stay connected to their purpose. Sometimes this might mean something new, Sometimes this might mean something really, really old. But we have to know ourselves and our world enough and do the work of being connected here and now to imagine how might we return to the purpose. What practices might we need to take up? What things might we need to stop so that we can return to the purpose of the tradition? That's on a communal level, but I think on a personal level, we need this also. We need to examine in our lives, where are we white-knuckle gripping the way it has always been and crushing the life out of the tradition? Where is God inviting you to open your hand and trust that God is big enough to find a new way in our changing world? Will you trust him in that?
Will you open your hands? I feel this as much as you do. It is hard. It takes courage. It takes faith and trust. But it is a good way. And I think we can join with the disciples in Jerusalem to say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us that we do this. This is our our invitation. To imagine how we might change and respond to our time in Boulder, Colorado, right now. To stay centered on the purpose of our tradition, this life that we have inherited We have to learn to change so that we can stay the same. Let's take that journey together. Let's pray.